This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Vanity Fair. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I am delighted and proud to introduce him as Academy Award winner. And the Oscar goes to. And the Oscar goes to. The winner, it's a tie. And any little girl who's who's practicing their speech on the telly, you never know. Mom, I just want an Oscar. I am Katie Rich. I'm here with Richard Lawson. Hello. With David Canfield. Hello. And with Kara Warner. Hello. Later in this episode, we are going to be joined by our friends Joe Reed and Chris File for our annual Oscars flashback. We're talking about the 2004 Oscars where Return of the King went 11 for 11 with Oscar wins and a lot of other stuff happened. But before that, there is a current Oscar season. We're going to talk about the Indie Spirits, the SAG Awards, the PGA Awards. As you hear this, Oscar voting is closed. So whoever's going to win, it's already written down. Um, and so we've got a lot to anticipate there. But before any of that, I have housekeeping to do. Um, I have really enjoyed seeing everyone's emails asking to be part of our Little Goldman Oscar pool. I have been the person emailing everyone, telling them to join the pool. Um, if you've received an email from me with a link for the pool and haven't yet signed up, please sign up. At this point, we are full. Um, apologies to literally hundreds of you who asked to join who won't be able to be part of it this year. We are really hoping to expand it in the future. It's so exciting to see all the enthusiasm out there. Um, and we look forward to competing against you. So um, watch this space. Uh, we will keep you posted on our future endeavors. And thank you to everyone who will be joining us. Please submit your ballots before the Oscars start. And if you haven't signed up again, please click that link and sign up. One last thing for listeners before I start monologuing. Next week, in what would usually be our interview episode, we want to hear from you guys. We have gotten some really fun listener questions about Oscar parties and about the best way to watch the Oscars, where to go, what to wear, what to eat. And we want to hear them from you guys. If you have special Oscar viewing traditions, if you have something you want to tell everyone to do, if you have food that you make or just stories about your friend who makes great food at the Oscars, send us a voice memo via email. The email, littlegoldmen at vf.com. It's the same one you've always used. Uh, and we'll play them on the show. I think next week we're just going to have kind of a loose conversation about how we like to watch the Oscars when we're not, you know, attending them, as some of the people on this episode will be. Um, so this is your chance to be part of that conversation. Send us a voice memo, short enough, if you can, uh, at littlegoldmen at vf.com. And uh, hopefully you'll be on the show next week. Okay, enough from me. David and Kara, you guys spent last weekend hopping around Los Angeles to such a wide range of events. And you wrote you did um you did a rundown of it on VF.com on Monday that people can read. But just just give me the top line. By Sunday night, how were you feeling? How are people feeling out there as Oscar voting actually reaches a close? 
Honestly, David gets the MVP of the weekend because he was at back-to-back events. I just had the pleasure of covering the Independent Spirit Awards, which were on Sunday instead of Saturday. Also, they're usually the day before the Oscars on a Saturday. And I loved that they had a week, you know, that they were kind of a separate event. It also seemed like it helped with a lot of the talent and nominees, who many of whom are also Oscar nominated, um, that they, they were able to kind of relax and enjoy the day, save for the people that headed off to the PGAs right after the Independent Spirit Awards. But it's always just a, a slightly more casual, fun event uh, because it's on the beach, beach side, really. It's in a tent on the beach. Um, Did they change clothes between the two events from daytime to nighttime? Uh, some people I saw did, others did not, um, mm. at least among talent. I don't think the journalists did. <laughs> <laughs> no one has a, uh, a hotel suite waiting for you guys to change clothes. Not like. as far as I know. Um, if you're listening, Conde. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I would not say I was the true MVP because you had journalists uh, who did all three. I did not. I did not go to the spirits. Um, but in general, it was a another one of these weekends this season that just felt very, very, very concentrated. Um, and, and to Kara's point, because of the timing of all of these events, PGAs, SAGs, and spirits, you had... A lot of Oscar nominees at all three, even if they weren't nominated at all three, Jeffrey Wright, Lily Gladstone among them, taking the stage at every show, whether as a presenter or in both actors' cases uh, as winners at at least one show, uh, which we'll talk more about. Um, So you definitely had the sense of a last-minute sprint, you know, Bradley Cooper presenting to Barbara Streisand at the Sags. Oh, oh, I have Uh, have 10 minutes to talk about that one. Yeah, I I know you do. (laughs) Um, And I think that out of that, you... You sense both who maybe feels like they're still in it, what movies feel like they have a shot to go higher than some people are expecting. And then, of course, when the winners come in, uh, you have a sense of who the frontrunners are, which um, we have in almost every category at this point. Right. And a couple, one thing David and I talked about in our piece was that with Independent Spirit Awards, some of the not frontrunners, but still Oscar nominated movies that are beloved this year and very acclaimed um, got a moment to shine. So... Past Lives, Celine Song won Best Director and Best Feature. So, and the room was very happy to applaud her for that little partial standing ovation. Um, Jeffrey Wright won for Best Actor and Core Jefferson won for Screenplay. Uh, and that's, we still have a lot of love and uh, Oscar potential for American fiction, but it was, it was fun to hear the crowd kind of show their appreciation for these films, even if they're not, even if not all of them are frontrunners at the Oscars. Yeah, Past Lives feels like I don't want to say victim because it's doing really well for itself, but in such a strong Oscar year, it just has so much competition from every angle, whereas in other years, you could see it just having this easy lane toward picking up several Oscars. Mm -hmm. So I think something like The Indie Spirits for a film like that, or even maybe American Fiction, I think we can talk about its odds in the screenplay races. Um, The value of that seems to really come through um, with a competitive year like this one. Yeah. It's really fascinating how competitive original screenplay is, given that Oppenheimer is not nominated there, and Barbie is not nominated there, uh, and even American Fiction, which is arguably the adapted frontrunner. Um, a movie like Past Lives uh, getting such an embrace with the Film Independent Spirit Awards after American Fiction had already kind of established itself as the strongest of those Best Picture nominees over there, um, at least Oscar-wise, shows that there is a lot of love in the industry for the movie, even if it has lowly two Oscar nominations. And (laughs) I think in another year, 
Um, in the same way Women Talking when adapted last year in a relatively thin field, um, I think Past Lives could easily be the screenplay winner. But you also have these other uh, major uh, beloved contenders in Anatomy of a Fall and The Holdovers, um, which are picking up awards in their own right. So it's it was nice to see that movie get on the board. Um, and maybe there will be a surprise there, even as it feels like Anatomy of a Fall is incredibly strong. Right. And I should add that your favorite May, December, uh, Sammy did mm-hmm. pick up an award. Yes, so. she also, yeah, on there also nominated an original. A great point. Wait, what did Sammy, what did they win for May, December? Oh, she won uh, a best best first screenplay? Yep, first screenplay. Oh, the oh, yeah. What is like? I missed that entirely. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the review's director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Luna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery+. Plus. David, at the PGA Awards, you were sitting at the Killers of the Flower Moon table, who I think had a pretty fascinating weekend. Um, You were not sitting with them at the SAG Awards, where Lily Gladstone won in a pretty major moment. But I'm guessing they were feeling pretty optimistic, even though they didn't win the PGA. Uh, I would say so. You know, that was the day after Lily Gladstone's SAG triumph. And she, again, looked amazing. And being that close to the Gladstone Awards show as you feel the star power, and particularly, I think, the sense of a star who's really come into her own on the trail and who is the way she walks into a room now uh, is different. Heads turn, there's a lot of attention on her, in addition to Martin Scorsese, with whom she was seated and he was being honored that night. Um so I think there's a lot of hope and anticipation for that race. It's the most exciting race at the Oscars by far. It's very close. And I, I would expect that the fact that that campaign has so precisely focused on her candidacy, like she is the only chance realistically for Killers of the Flower Moon to win something. And Apple and the people behind that film have known that for a very long time. Um, we could see that pay off. Um, She has just been such an amazing presence uh, with a great performance that clearly people love. Who's going to win Best Actress, guys? Do we feel... (laughs) Is it truly as tense and close as it's ever been? Because that's that's really how I feel right now. Um, Yeah, I I really don't know. I mean, 
I guess at the moment, momentum is with Gladstone, which is, uh, you know, kind of what we had thought <laughs> a few weeks ago. And then Emma Stone kind of surged ahead at BAFTAs. But um, yeah, the SAG thing, that feels pretty significant. Obviously, they don't always overlap. The actors can sometimes have different tastes than their, you know, fellow Academy members um, and other branches. Um, but I don't know. I'm try- I'm, it, it's hard to be like sure about Gladstone but also then wonder about Killian Murphy versus Giamatti. I had been saying, I think Giamatti's going to pull ahead and at the SAGs, I was wrong. And so I don't know, I'm really doubting all of my predictive faculties. But I think if we w- listened, uh, you know, maybe a few weeks or a couple months ago, we were all pretty sure Gladstone was going to win at that point, right? Or am, mm-hmm. I, am I misremembering? Yeah, it's been a real uh, seesaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it just feels like she's giving good speeches. People do like that movie. They really like her. You know, she's an exciting new figure, newish figure on the scene. Um, Maybe that momentum is just all anyone needed to, like, get their final, you know, get their ballots in right under the wire. Um, And Emma Stone was maybe less in mind because fewer people watch the BAFTAs or whatever, you know. Uh, She's had, and also Emma Stone hasn't really been campaigning in the same way. One, One thing I've said a lot, um, since the new year is that of all the acting races, actress has always felt like the one that felt the least figured out that even beyond the top two, and they're very clearly the top two, there, there are pockets of support, I think, for at least almost all of those nominees that are quite strong, which means that momentum's, I think, especially important. Um, and SAG has fallen earlier in the calendar historically I think it's proven more likely to predict the Oscars more exactingly as it's gone later in the calendar as it is this year. So that's notable. And Lily Gladstone campaigned a ton in phase two, I would say more than almost any of her fellow nominees at SAG, at least. Um, And that kind of effort can pay off, especially when it's not really a resolved race. Um, Yeah. So. And the campaigning hasn't felt sort of hungry or thirsty or whatever the no. right yeah. adjective, you know, like, I think that she's been impressive. I think that people like when we did our live event in Los Angeles, um, you know, Katie interviewed Lily and the, the costume designers from from Flower Moon, like people who came up to me afterward. And I when I, when I met Gladstone too backstage, like everyone just seems sort of like, wow, like she's so smart. She talks about stuff in such a, you know, kind of it's intense, but it's also like worth hearing, obviously, you know, and like, I don't know, I, I think that in a year where people outside of the Oscars are are grasping for a little clarity and sense from the world, like Lily Gladstone seems to kind of be providing that in this context. And like, I don't know, I think that's a really strong asset that she's found a way to campaign intelligently um, and with integrity. Yeah, and I think you make a really good point that she's done it well with, you know, obviously everyone wants to win, uh, but she, I think, has embraced the moment and taken advantage of the opportunity in being able to speak about other things and, you know, look toward the future of her career um, in addition to, you know, bringing awareness to things with with still being really appreciative and happy to be here uh, without the thirst factor that some other people occasionally suffer from. 
<laughs> Without it, I don't not trying to accuse anyone of thirst, but I was thinking about kind of the two paths for people who are new to the game and making their way through the campaign. Like I think Kihui Kwan is kind of a great example of it. Like they're in like enthusiasm and so glad to be here and so kind of overwhelmed by being included as part of this crowd. I think to some extent, Jamie Lee Curtis had some of that last year, too. Um, yeah. But both Lily Gladstone and Davine Joined Randolph have had this other trickier path of like, hello, I belong here. Thank you very much. I am going to hold the room. And it's worked so well for them. And I think you have to have that as part of your being. You can't pretend to have that kind of gravitas. Um, but they would be a very interesting pair, especially of, uh, of actress winners, because I don't think actresses get to pull off that kind of gravitas very often, especially when they're fresher faces. Um, so I'm, I'm even more impressed with them for that. Yeah, especially. Yeah, you're right, Kitty, especially in the actress. I mean, like, I think this late in this in the in the campaign, if every win is met with like, oh, my God, oh, wow, like, you know, Taylor Swift yeah. style or whatever, like people <laughs> start to get really annoyed by that. Like, you know, she had a much different star profile back in the day, obviously. But like you think about like the kind of Kate Winslet fatigue that set in by the time she finally won for mm-hmm. the reader, she still won. It didn't you know, didn't stop her from winning. But like. People are, you know, it's unfair because we don't really, you know, the men are not always spoken about that way. I I can't really think of an example when they have been. Maybe, I mean, I might have said some uncharitable things about Brandon Fraser last year. I don't know. But like that campaign started to irk me. But like, um, yeah, I I think that you're you're right, Kitty, that she she and Davine Joy Randolph have really found a way to have that sort of quiet dignity while also being funny on occasion and, you know, uh, but recognizing the bigness of the moment, but also not seeming smaller than it in a way. Um, And I think that that's a really, really, really tricky needle to thread. And they had, you know, double challenges set in front of them being women of color and, you know, um, and they've, they've, they've bared up really well. And I, I think that maybe the reward is just two weeks away. At the at the risk of being grossly earnest, it's kind of what we love about award season, right? Is people who the industry is getting to know for the first time, even if they've been working for a number of years and us along with them, just very authentically putting themselves forward, talking about their work, talking about their path to this moment. Um, I get a little swept up in it. I am an objective reporter, but in the SAG Awards (laughs) room where I was seated very far in the back, when Lily Gladstone won, it was unbelievably exciting. And you're, you know, you could feel everybody, I mean, maybe it was just me, but I could feel everyone around me too, just really um, beaming at the sight of her taking that moment. And Uh, Emma um, Stone, chief among them, I feel like I have to say. Her reaction shot was ecstatic. Exactly. And we don't have access to that in the room, but that is exactly what I'm talking about is that was reflected around of everyone around me as well. It was just like instant euphoria. Speaking of you at the SAGs, David, that shot of you watching Barbara Streisand come out on stage. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. That was Anne Hathaway. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, my eyes were not a dry eye in the house. My pitch was that Anne Hathaway and Bradley Cooper should remake a Barbara movie. Like, I think probably Mirror has two faces, but I'd be open to other suggestions. Um, the the two of them in their unbridled enthusiasm, not to say Jennifer Aniston was not enthusiastic, also presenting, but um, I would like to see that happen. You don't personally. want to see Bradley Cooper say Lowenstein, Lowenstein, and he's referring to Anne <laughs> no, Hathaway? No, I think they have to gender reverse it because Bradley Cooper is the Barbara Streisand of the yeah. 2020s. Yeah. No, I think we all right. figured that out. So, um, yeah, it needs some tweaking, but I think I was going to say, it. Take, it, take an extra mile and make them do it. Broadway play, like a Broadway play version yeah. of it. Just embrace <laughs> the theater kids and uh, go out. They, yep. re- they have a lot of energy to get out right now, so I think yep. it's a really good suggestion. <laughs> if he drops it an octave or two, Bradley Cooper can do Papa, Can You Hear Me? 
<laughs> I thought you were gonna say he could do Nick Nolte's voice. He'll practice. He'll eyes. practice it. He'll practice it for seven years. He'll be fine. Right. <laughs> yeah, seven. Uh, not six. Yeah, I mean, David, you were in the same room as Barbara Streisand. Are you a different person now? I don't. I don't want to complain, but. Was I? Was I really? I don't know. It was a little rough up there. They, um, left, they left something to be desired this year, it sounds like. The, it was a little rough up there, but it's hard not to be changed. Uh, yeah. No matter where you're sitting when Barbara Streisand is in the room. I have guess. to say, it was rough being in the audience uh, at home, too. I, I found the technicals of the SAG Awards pretty janky, the audio in particular. Yeah, um, I loved you tweeting about the audio as your like, um, single-issue voter. I like didn't enjoy watching it because everything was like muted or muffled or sort of clanky. Like it was just like, and then to watch the Spirit Awards, which were on IMDb's YouTube channel <laughs> and, yeah. and everything sounded much better. And it was in a tent and there was a protest happening outside. Like, right. I don't know. I just think that like Netflix really has to smooth out this live broadcast thing because that that was it made the whole show seem kind of janky, which it shouldn't. It looked beautiful in the room, too. Um, it did. It looked be- I thought the, the room itself and the, the way it was filmed looked great. The hanging lights and stuff were really pretty, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was difficult for journalists to do their, to do their job, is how I would phrase it. Um, I've covered the SAG Awards many times. This was definitely the most difficult uh, and more difficult than any other pre-Oscars awards show. Um, you know, Kara can tell you at the Spirit Awards, you're just walking around with everybody and it's the same at the PGA Awards and nobody's making a fool of themselves as far as I know. Uh, it's yeah. not, you know, we're, we're there to work. So... It's frustrating, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'm very curious if Netflix considers the SAG Awards on Netflix a success. Um, it was on a Saturday night, which is just strange. It's a weird time to try to get people to pay attention to an award show. I think our, our traffic somewhat bore that out. People are obviously interested to some extent, but I don't think the way that they were for the Golden Globes. Um, but I liked that they could swear. I didn't mind the interstitials with Tan France talking to people. I don't know how you felt about that, Richard, watching at home. But um, it's there's something about the freedom, the looseness of a streaming award show. And a show that's still two hours. It's not like it went on forever. Yeah. Um, that I thought worked well. I found fascinating the interstitials with Tan France being like, okay, it's Netflix, no commercials. They're just going to go straight through. And it's like, no, but like people are so used to having breaks in these things that they couldn't take the breaks away because think, you know, people needed to go pee or get a drink or whatever, you know, however it worked. Like, I thought that was kind of a fascinating, like, oh, oh, an award show has evolved past the point of commercials because of (laughs) streaming, but they also need this thing because uh, they can't just go straight through. It would be something would break. I don't know. Yeah, it was interesting. I will say it has been in Netflix's top 10 for the last few days. I just checked it's there again today. Um, I don't know what that says about Netflix's general viewership, but I feel like that is a pretty dramatic change for the SAG Awards from when they would air on TNT. Like, it it has to have been a really substantial increase. And more importantly, since it's still there today, uh, we're recording on Tuesday, um, quite a long tail, which is fascinating. Sometimes Netflix does the thing where it's regional too, though, like your top 10 in Los Angeles, perhaps maybe is more viewed than top Um, 10 national. That's a great question. I'm going (laughs) to go go back on, go back on my desktop app here. Let's see what it says. In the U.S. In the U.S. I'm playing it on loop and filming in Hathaway space (laughs) because I'm going to upload a 10 hour YouTube video (laughs) of of just her crying at Barbara Streisand. 
amazing. Kara, being at the Spirit Awards in person, um, obviously Jim Gaffigan seemed pretty thrown by the the person. I think it was just a couple of people playing a, an yeah. audio track of protesting outside. Um, but did it feel like people kind of recovered and got used to that pretty quickly? Because it was it, the noise. I mean, the protesting continued almost to the end of the show, right? Right. It was a full hour, I think it happened. So it was just that is also just a two hour show. Um I was sitting on the side where the protester was, you know, at a, at a press table. And all of us were sort of like, uh, what's going to happen? Because the thing I, I acknowledge in the piece is that the show has to go on. It's a live streaming event. So it's not like they could stop it and try to figure something out. The other the, the biggest issue was that it takes place in a public space on a public <laughs> beach. So everyone has a right to be there. Um, and there was one element where security sort of tried to strategically move a shuttle bus back and forth to block the speaker because it was one it was I think one or three people maybe we figured out is they had had the pre-recorded um, messaging the chant and then they would pass it off between them at different distances um, just because I think it was a heavy megaphone so they're passing it back and forth but it it continued it would only be muffled on occasion and I think Jim Gaffigan handled it really well because he um is sort of knowingly acknowledging it because everyone can hear it in the tent, um, but sort of then just powers through. Um, the other interesting thing was who brought it up in their their speeches, yeah. you know, in, in acknowledging it. Uh, and I think because it's a really big issue right now that people want to acknowledge um, that that the room sort of really was accepting right accepting of this protest right because it is it is a meaningful protest um so the one director who of Fremont who won the John yeah. Cassavetes award he was the only one who sort of said I'm so sorry I can't think I'm I'm because of what's happening outside and I'm so moved by this this person you know having the courage and and presenting this and and that received a lot of support in the room so there was absolute professionalism in the sense that people were like listen we have to keep going on with the show it's live People also do want to win awards. That was another part of it, while also acknowledging that there is something very big in the world happening that is bigger than what's happening in this tent. So it was it was really interesting. I think people were so respectful, despite the fact that it was pretty disruptive. Yeah, I think that the protest in some ways did its job in that it yeah. made everyone there seemingly and also watching at home realize the kind of gross juxtaposition yep. of what's yep. happening, mm-hmm. you know, in Gaza and what's was happening at a f- fancy award show, you know. And so in that way, they did their job. Um, did I, for a few, you know, now shameful minutes, be like, oh, I mean, like, I get it, but like, uh, like, I can't hear what they're saying and I feel <laughs> awkward. Yes. But like, that was yeah. also the point, you know. Yeah. And I know it was an interesting moment of like, well, it's live. That's live TV for you, you know. Yeah. And um yeah, but I think, yeah, you're right. People seemed, from my vantage point, at least, people seemed to kind of handle it in stride. I wish that maybe even more people had acknowledged it on stage like the Fremont director did. Yeah, I think it was, you know, obviously it was something unplanned and unexpected and people were trying to figure out how to handle it. Um, and and I, I really do think people, there was there was support in the room. Um, you know, freedom of speech is, is one of our most cherished uh, freedoms here while we still have them. And so it was... I, I kind of respected the whole thing that people really, it, there was no one kind of harassing the pro- protester, right? Their security sort of let them be um, again, cause they couldn't, they couldn't really do anything. So it was, it was very respectful on all accounts, um, you know, despite what could have been. You have to wonder how th- that, how it will be handled going forward. Yeah. Because I think you mentioned to me or Kara offline that like, 
it's amazing that this had not happened at the spirits before because it is in its own universe in this public space. It's in a tent. So the acoustics are not uh, spectacular when it comes to blocking out outside noise. And Hollywood does a great job of putting itself in a hermetically sealed bubble (laughs) and not allowing anything from the real world to get inside. Um, And I wonder if they will continue to put on the show that way. I hope they do. I hope that there is the space for this kind of expression. Um, But I would imagine people were taken aback because it just doesn't happen at these shows. You know, I've been to so many of these shows and it's very difficult to um, actually get through um, normally, you know, if you're on, you know, driving to the Oscars, you'll have a row of protesters, the kind of, you know, weird people you see in Times Square mixed with some earnest protesters, maybe in a line. And then you forget about it because you're in a room with a bunch of stars who aren't talking about that stuff. So, um, it was fascinating to see that play out. And I, I wonder how it will be responded to next year. Well, and I wonder what kind of speech there's going to be at the Oscars about this. You know, like we've had Susan Sarandon drop from her agency, Melissa Barrera filed, fired from a movie for speaking out for, you know, Palestinian civilians and children. Like, you know, it, it that doesn't seem that controversial, but obviously, you know, it, at least a couple months ago, it really felt that way. The tide seems to be turning. So I'm wondering if the Oscars are going to kind of greet that moment because that's a huge, you know, international stage um, where, you know, political speech has been a, a part of the Oscars for for decades, you know, not, not every year necessarily, but like there is a history of it. And uh, I'm curious to see how they address it. And maybe the Spirit Awards thing um, has kind of forced that conversation or maybe people will just ignore it kind of like and seal the chamber up again. (laughs) The very cynical part of me wonders if there are certain people who will probably be making a speech at the Oscars who haven't really addressed this at all yet because it is a controversial topic. They don't want things to get in the way and there may be a moment to address it when all is said and done. Mm. Uh, I guess cynical slash optimistic um, that it won't go totally under the rug, but we'll see. In a few minutes, we're going to talk about the 2004 Oscars and kind of the striking difference between that one and the 2003 awards, which happened a week after the Iraq war started in terms of how the crowd responded to bringing up political topics. And I would guess this year will be more like the 2003 one, where if someone broaches the topic of Gaza, it will will get a lot of reaction and it might be uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but also maybe some stuff needs to be said. Right. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I don't know. I my 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 cynicism suggests that like. They'll just kind of go, la, 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 can't hear you, you know, and, mm, well, and just, I, I would tend to agree. Yeah, yeah it um, was one. The thing that I that we were all kind of talking about, it's like, you know what? Hollywood sort of skirts the issue, right? Because it is a microcosm and, and we do want to see beautiful people dressed up, interacting. We want to see people awarded. Will we're they, all complicit. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, like wh- what should we all be doing? And, and this issue, especially so charged and so sensitive. So it, it forcing and reminding people that we all need to be talking about it or people they're they're what can we all do that i think that's the the toughest question right yep well next week we're going to be able to predict the who we think will win the oscars and maybe we'll do some predictions about how we think the ceremony will play out as well because we're learning more about it as well i think it'll be hard to know what will be the big controversial moment but we can at least do some more informed prognosticating then Um, yeah but before that we're going to go time travel back to 2004 I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. 
It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Well, we're now so pleased to kick off an annual tradition. I wish I could remember how many years we've been doing this. I feel like it was born during the pandemic. But anyway, it's never a bad time to look back at the Oscars that happened 20 years ago, which would be 2004. And joining us once again for this journey into the past, the host of the This Had Oscar Bud the host of the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast and our friends, Joe Reed and Chris File. Hello, you guys. We are your This Had Oscar Buds. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start branding ourselves that way. Uh, here comes merch. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're honestly, it'd be hard to do this with anybody else because you guys have such a wealth of knowledge of Oscars past, which I feel like I lose the longer I do this show where I'm just so wrapped up in the current race. Um, and I didn't even realize until uh, very close to recording this that you guys did a mini series in the early days of your podcast on this year's Oscar race. We did. Our we first did. mini series. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that was recently. And then I realized it was 2019. I was like, oh, time. <laughs> time has passed. Yeah. Um, Obviously, with the concept of your show, you were focusing on movies that didn't get nominated, like The Human Stain and The Missing and movies that did not come up in the rewatch of the ceremony. Um, but I was hoping maybe you guys could start us off by kind of setting the table for what this Oscar race was. I think if anyone thinks of it, they think of it as the Lord of the Rings year. But there were a lot of other a lot of other narratives going into this night that I think when you watch the show itself, you're like, oh, it's not just a bunch of New Zealanders accepting statues. It is. But it's right. more than that. Well, even the Lord of the Rings aspect of it, I remember there was a lot of anxiety around that time of, like, has the m moment maybe passed? Should they have just awarded it for Fellowship of the Ring? By the time Return of the King comes, there's a little bit of criticism creeping in of, like, did they end it well? Are there too many endings? Does it go on too long? Maybe the voters will just sort of be sick of it. And then you sort of realize very quickly, it's like, no, 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 like, they're not. Um <laughs> <laughs> and then in the meantime, sort of this is uh, why Chris and I did the our, our miniseries on 2003, is there is a big narrative of highly hyped movies that fell short, even if they, something like Cold Mountain, which did get nominations for, you know, obviously Renee Zellweger wins and Jude Law is nominated, but like doesn't get Best Picture, doesn't get Best Director, doesn't get Best Actress for Nicole Kidman. And so that was like kind of a big flop for Miramax, relatively speaking. You get movies like um, we did episodes on The Missing, as you mentioned, The Human Stain, but like Big Fish, which gets a couple of nominations, was like a Christmas Day release. Columbia had a whole bunch of December releases that really kind of fell flat. Big Fish, Mona Lisa Smile. Our the very missing. first episode. <laughs> Our very first episode, Mona Lisa Smile. The Last Samurai. I don't know if Last Samurai, I don't think, was Columbia, but um, Columbia had that Peter Pan movie, the PJ Hogan Peter Pan movie that released All on right. Christmas. <laughs> um, even stuff that did get nominated for acting awards like House of Sand and Fog and Last Samurai were expected to be much bigger contenders in Best Picture. I know Jennifer Connelly was like hugely, hugely touted for a Best Actress nomination that never happened for House of Sand and Fog. Um, Chris, what else can... Uh, I, am I missing? I mean, I think you kind of have to say that hand-in-hand hand with these big disappointments that were happening, there's also these massive surprises happening in nominations. Things like In America having a really good day. I think if 2003 had been a Best Picture 10 year, you would see a Best Picture nomination for In America. Yeah. Um, 
thinks I mean, like, the city Whale of God Rider was and Monster city of coming God. in from Newmarket, yeah. like a studio that doesn't exist anymore. Right, mm-hmm. Newmarket for for Monster. Yeah, City of God was like the biggest Oscar nomination morning surprise of my lifetime. Like that was genuinely yeah. nobody saw that coming because it was a year old movie that was from the foreign language race the year before so everybody had kind of just sort of settled that one away and And after that they changed the rules right so that that can't happen again that if you're eligible for international the previous year you can't then be eligible like perfect days came out in america this year but it can't be eligible for best actor next year right well but it's yes but i think it's still possible that if you are a if you haven't opened in the united states then you still are possible for the next year, I think. Oh, God, this is I'm where so we need bad when like to fact check with us. Yeah, yeah these yeah. rules Somebody have f- also, ch- especially the rules around international contenders, have changed yeah. so many times since it's 2003 true. that it's hard to keep track. These days, you're just more likely to have a foreign language contender open in the United States, mm-hmm. and so it's there are fewer movies that that don't bother with it. Even movies that don't get nominated still will open somewhere, you know, uh, for some length of time. Or be pushed for Best Picture or in other categories, you know? Yeah. But so then you end up with this Oscar ceremony with a lot of, like, nominees who are riding these waves of, like, kind of relative disappointment, where it's, like, House of Sand and Fog and and, uh, 21 Grams, even, you know what I mean? Where it's, like, Naomi Watts and Benicio Del Toro get nominated, but, like, it, you still get the sense that, like, oh, kind of the the, the marketplace rejected this one a little bit. So <laughs> mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, it's it's a free reign for Lord of the Rings to sort of stomp its way through. Besides yeah. movies like Lost in Translation is one of the few ones that, like, was able to retain that good buzz. That was a Sundance movie, I'm pretty sure, right? Or no? No, I believe it was Fall Festivals that the okay. movie debuted. Yes, yeah. But anyway, so yeah, Lost in Translation... Uh, Master and Commander gets a couple. Um, and then Mystic River is a fall release, which kind of comes and sweeps in, and everyone's really excited about it. Fall like, release, can. Can. Yeah, it, it can. Yeah, Mystic River ah, played a can. Okay. Yeah. Mystic River, which I read that book um, that fall in preparation <laughs> for that movie coming out, which is so unlike me. Um, this was my uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, I guess, that I was just going <laughs> to, I got to read it. I got to read Dennis Lehane's novel. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, I just like the lesson translation premiered at Telluride, which I'm guessing is one of the really um, early years of Telluride um, kickstarting an Oscar campaign for a small movie like that. Yeah. Um, Caro, what do you remember about this season? Where where were you in your like professional uh, or just a casual Oscar viewing at that point? I was still deciding what to do with my career. Uh, <laughs> I was a year out of college living in San Francisco and working in restaurants before I became an intern in PR. Um my favorite nominee of this year is Diane Keaton, uh, because mm. mm-hmm. comedies so rarely get that nomination. And I still love that film. I think oh, she's I think she's phenomenal in it. And I uh she's definitely I was so happy when I was like, Oh yay, this is the year Diane Keaton got nominated. And I had forgotten how much people thought it was between her and Charlize Theron. Like I was reading people's yes. Oscar mm-hmm. predictions from that year and they really thought it was down between the two of them, which I had no memory of. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was never really not going to be Charlize, but yeah, Diane right. was definitely seen as, like, the second-place contender. Yeah. yeah. And I think because you have these two who are so out in front, it's part of what allows so many surprises to happen in that acting category, yeah. as far as the other nominees are concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and watching it 
I would I would just add that watching it <laughs> I'm just some I so many of these movies I haven't seen in so long but something's got to give and Pirates of the Caribbean I have probably seen the most out of all those so I was like oh you yeah. know you I'm mean so to tell happy. me you don't have an annual The Cooler watch? <laughs> <laughs> so I was trying to remember. I was like, oh, wow, were these all that good? But <laughs> I, my my secret confession is this is I was in college and I was like taking film classes and really in like the lowest ebb of seeing new movies of probably my like a life since a teenager. So I've never seen Seabiscuit. I've never seen House of Sand and Fog. Uh, yeah. There's, I, I've never seen Whale Rider. I've never seen Monster, which I feel embarrassed to admit. Um, and now I'm just might just live in the mystery forever. Like, do am I ever going to see House of Sand and Fog? Maybe not. Well, so maybe these Oscars not. are like a whole like journey into a realm I don't know anything about. House of Sand and Fog is really good. I watched it oh, for okay. the first time a couple years ago, and it turns Agreed. out. If in the 2020s you tweet about how good that movie is, Shora Adashlu tweets back at you. <laughs> Get out of here! In Fabulous. my experience, Amazing. anyway. Fabulous. Oh my god! Yeah, 2004 that. Richard would could never have imagined such a thing. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I would also advocate for Monster being a better movie than just Charlize Theron's performance. So, Katie, catch up to that one. Okay, it does feel like watching all the Best Actress winners is something that at some point in my life I will want to do. 21 Grams saved till last, and and maybe yeah, 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 yeah. Kick that down there. It's such a bummer. It's so, uh, it's so depressing. Yeah. Um, well, we did. I, I did not rewatch the movies from this year as we have done in some versions of this in the past, and have still not seen House of Sand and Fog. But we all did watch the 2004 Oscars themselves, thanks to you, Joe, with your voluminous archives of past Oscar ceremonies. And um, Richard, you have taken on the duty for ten years now of oh recapping wow. the Oscars for <laughs> VF.com, um, making gifts. I really the fact that you started this in 1994, and now here we are, like creeping ever closer to when you started this, is blowing my mind. Um, <laughs> so, um, so Richard, how was this? journey into the um not so recent past for you well i'm still in the con- in the construction phase um i i've just gotten all the images for the pre-show <laughs> <laughs> well the pre-show this time like every now and then the tapes kind of have a variety of stuff yeah. this year's pre-show is a rich tech so you can talk about that i think the most striking thing about the entire broadcast that Joe has provided us with, uh, which was recorded by somebody on satellite TV 20 years ago. Um, yeah, I have no idea who that is, was. Yeah. It's not Return of the King coming in with 11 nominations, leaving with 11 awards. It's nothing like that. It's how goddamn awful Billy Bush is. <laughs> yeah. Oh my <laughs> God, a nightmare. A real nightmare. Oh, so he was real bad like before the Trump stuff. Like it was, it's just uh-huh. like, it's, yeah. it's appalling. And I, I, I'm doing some, I'm writing the, the piece as I pull images and stuff. And one thing I say in it, and I, don't, oh, I hope I'm right, is that like, surely even 20 years ago, people watching this would have been like, hmm, he seems like a creep. <laughs> <laughs> well, poor Keisha Castle Hughes, who gets mm-hmm. this once in a lifetime moment. She's, it's, it's, you know, Child actor, uh, nominated for an Oscar. These things are never guaranteed to ever happen again. So the likelihood is this is, you know, her one moment in the sun. And she has to share her car ride to the Oscars (laughs) with Billy Bush, like, being obnoxious in the car with her. And then who has to, like... Embarrass her in front of Johnny Depp in oh. the pre-show, and, and oh. yeah, there's a moment where the, the car, the limo thing opens, and it's a two-shot of just Billy Bush and Kesha Castle Hughes, and I'm like, oh dear, what's going on here? And then eventually, the camera pans, and it's her mother sitting on her on Kesha's right yes. hand side, and You're she like, is Thank God. not looking happy. And Billy Bush <laughs> no. is like, look at that face; she's thrilled. And I'm yes. like, no, she's not. <laughs> no, I, just, she's I was not. taken aback. I was so taken aback by his 
like he takes every opportunity to touch every woman he talks mm-hmm. to. And mm-hmm. I was just like, yes. this is he made Insane. Scarlett Johansson whisper a secret into his ear, oh, a la uh, oh, Lost in Translation. Hey. And I'm like, just. Oh. He begins an interview with Angelina Jolie by looking her up and down and saying, wow. Yes. <laughs> That's how the interview starts. <laughs> yes. And then she tells him that she's there alone. And he's like, well, you won't be for long. Not I guarantee long. you that. Oh, it's, and so Awful. then Maria Menounos is there as like one of his like co-anchors. And I, I don't think they're actually in the same space. But she has this bit with Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller where like the, the bit's kind of funny. Like she plays along really well. It but is. They're like looking at her boobs the entire time. And That's like, the punchline of the sketch. what it was. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. We lived through this. We were all alive and sentient human beings. But the like blanket sexism of this period. I, I think this happened last year, too, when we were talking about Steve Martin hosting the Oscars. Like, well, it was a different time. Chris Connolly, an oasis of of somewhat normalcy. Just rattling off Oscar yeah. nominees. He's kind of dull. Yeah. But, but I, like, I think that that, that gender, like that, it's, I mean, sexist stuff really carries on into Billy Crystal's opening number. Sure. And when yeah. it started, I was like, oh, fun. It's one of the ones where he, like, because the technology was there, he, like, was digitally inserted into, like, the Best Picture nominees. There's a yeah. goofy song. But then you actually listen to what's being said in the song and in his jokes. And it's just, like, every time he references a woman, it's about how hot she is. You know? Like, yeah, they had not- just also legalized gay marriage in Massachusetts. So um, that was a frequent... Uh, ready-made punchline for for Billy throughout the yeah. night. Yeah. He also, uh, did you catch that he did the Sammy Davis Jr. blackface just for a second? Oh, did I? Did. Yes. Yeah. did I catch that? Yeah, It's I twice. It. It's twice. It's it twice. shows up twice. Because when he did it's, it in, what was it, 2011, 2010 Oscars, everyone was like, oh, absolutely not. And I just, right. I, I had not realized how much, re- how recently he had done it, it at the Oscars. It was such a big part of his, like, comedic arsenal. It was mm-hmm. like... You know, you look marvelous, and it was, you know, and then it was the Sammy Davis Jr., and it was just like, geez. Bill Murray presenting, um, like, like the Best Picture nominee, Lost in Translation, and twice referring to Sofia Coppola as a girl. As a girl. <laughs> yeah. An American girl. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess he was really yeah. weird about Sofia Coppola. And she yeah. responds with just this, like, cringing, like, get me out of here. Oh, like, she was not shyness. comfortable in these, in these public spaces. Who yeah, can she, blame she, her? she looks about as happy to be there as she looked in Godfather 3. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Dad. Yeah. Um, I, I did welcome Billy Crystal for the most part. Like him singing Mystic River to the tune of Old Man River delights some core part of my being that grew up watching the Oscars. This is our in the first 90s. time getting to talk about a Billy Crystal ceremony is it because really? yeah. our first podcast that we did of this kind was for the 2000, the movies of 2000, the Gladiator wow. year. So he hadn't hosted since the American Beauty year. The As year he points that. out, it's the first time since the Evil Wizards took over the wine. Yeah. Yeah. Was this his last mm. ceremony? When was his last ceremony? No, that was the, the one the in, artist. The, yeah. The Oh, he did yes, blackface yes, again, yes. and everyone was like, "You're yeah, done. Right, You're not coming right, back right. anymore." That was somebody was that uh, uh, Eddie Murphy got uh, replaced at the last minute, right? It was the Brett Ratner produced yeah, the Brett one, Ratner. and then Brett Ratner oh. got the hook. And um, right, he hadn't announced a host yet, but Brett Ratner was the producer, and he I got Eddie Murphy the hook. was supposed to be the host with Brett Ratner. He, I, yeah, I don't know whether yes. that was officially announced yet or not. Because yeah. it's the um, Tower Heist year, the Tower, Tower Heist, Heist year. year. <laughs> yeah, that, right? And they were like, example. "Billy Crystal, save us!" And and he kind of. He showed up. Another yeah. example of the Oscars and gay jokes having this weird, uncomfortable relationship for uh-huh. a really long time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we've talked about Billy Crystal plenty of times in this group, but Kara, you haven't been on here for these flashbacks. What, do you have Billy Crystal uh, strong feelings one way or another? No, he once... Uh... 
my favorite Billy Crystal moment, he once like was on a red carpet and jokingly paused to like take a nap on my shoulder, um, which was it was like very the tame. There was nothing weird. It was just one of those things where I'm like, oh, this was this is what happens sometimes when you're reporting on a red carpet. Um, I actually really liked that he I felt like all of his stuff was really smart, that it was he clearly a team of people probably clearly worked really hard on it. Like there were yeah. smart topical jokes. There were some political zingers that weren't too, you know, one way or the other. I, I just the I Howard enjoyed. Dean joke really felt topical and, and relevant today. Howard Dean say. humor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I yeah, the, the monologue definitely, too. I mean, you, with the light sexism, uh, light medium, uh, <laughs> it still felt it was it was really nice. I was like, oh, I love when I loved those montages. He had a good joke about the Weinsteins being mm-hmm. evil uh sorcerers or Evil whatever. Wizard. I was like, yeah. Yeah, and when yeah, he's, yeah. he's naked through a lot of that montage and, and it's unclear it why, sure but then when is. it gets to the something's got to give thing and like, it's it's a joke where just everyone screaming at each other actually works. Like it, yes. it mm-hmm. works out in the yeah. end. Um, yeah. And then Jack Nicholson showing up in the end. That one really got the like, passing, nostalgia power Passing the me. torch of the of the sunglasses, yeah. The sunglasses that get you high is like the <laughs> oh, joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Forgot about that I, part. <laughs> I also didn't clock a single joke that's effectively no one's heard of any of these movies which i mean it's the lord of the rings year but like lord of the rings is nominated against much smaller movies and they're not a single joke like that in the ceremony all the best picture nominees made so like lost in translation obviously pretty small but like they all like had a pretty reasonable impact right i think the lowest grossing of them is mystic river oh wow Hmm. i think but you're right chris there isn't this sense of apologizing the oscars apologizing for itself which has yep. which would creep into the ceremony in later years i am very curious richard as you go onward on this project and maybe we keep talking about it um when that starts cuz I, I, yeah. I is it the hurt locker year is it when they expand to 10 or does it start sooner than that i don't remember yeah well, even in like the Hugh Jackman like I haven't seen the reader seems like a little bit of a nod towards that too of like yeah you know but I think I told you I finally realized this because he didn't want to make a Nazi joke, so he just pivoted right. in a completely different direction for that. It's the only thing he could do. I take that back because Mystic River made ninety million dollars at the box office. Dang. Wild. Damn. So yes, the lowest grosser grossing best picture nominee is Lost in Translation, but it still made forty five million dollars. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> One thing I noticed in, in doing these recaps, you know, year by year, is this is just one year after Michael Moore was basically booed off stage for criticizing the Iraq War. Yeah, and all of the jo- most of the jokes and comments by um, like winners uh, about that situation yep. this year are received very differently. And yeah. so how very quickly everybody came around. What yeah. a difference a yeah. year makes. Yeah, it's really it's really fascinating. Sean Penn, Errol Morris. I, I'm trying yeah. to remember who else, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a joke in the opener of Michael Moore getting squashed by a Lord of the Rings elephant. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> right. so even there's a, there's a Bob Hope tribute really early on, which I gotta say, mm-hmm. Bob, jo- Bob, Bob Hope had some jokes that still land. Like, I laughed yeah. out loud multiple times in that Bob Hope montage. But I think Billy Crystal talks about, like, the troops and being, you know, like, wrapping up a war or something like that. I was like, oh, no, we were so, so far away from any of that I like the way they handled the tributes this, this year. This was sort of once uh, once in a blue moon kind of thing where three major figures not only in Hollywood but also with relation to the Oscars had passed away because it's Bob Hope it's Gregory Peck who was uh former president of the academy and then in addition to you know one of the great actors and then Catherine Hepburn who's the only four-time acting winner so 
I liked the way they sort of like set aside those tributes, especially. Is it rude um, that they opened the the everyone else with like Gregory Peck opens up the overall obituary montage and doesn't get his own? Is that is that rude to Gregory Peck? I don't know. <laughs> I, I thought that was okay. I thought okay. that was fine. Um Can I, I say, did wait, think wait. it was notable that uh, I felt bad for the person who had to follow Lenny Riefenstahl in the that, uh, that in memoriam. Why she got in, she got silenced? It was like that carryover silence. That it was might have tough. been the part that shocked me the most. Of like, yeah. oh, yep. now you would not just not put Lenny Riefenstahl no, in the montage. No, particularly because they forget people who like didn't work with the Nazis to in the in you the. Know. <laughs> In the in memoriam, so like I can't imagine they forgot me, but like they remembered Lenny Riefenstahl. Like no, Jesus Christ, that was wild. I would haunt their asses forever. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of like in memoriam and and kind of non awards giving moments in the show, I think that overall the show is pretty um, efficient. Like they they do take time to perform every nominated song, which I uh, kind of yes. they do it in two blocks basically, which I appreciate. I also think yeah. it's going to be funny when like kids in their 20s are like Catherine O'Hara from Schitt's Creek performed at the Oscars <laughs> uh-huh. and it's like she uh-huh. sure did and she sounded uh-huh. great oh my uh-huh. god that they're so great in that and now it's she really and lovely. Eugene Levy are more famous than they were then bring them back yeah, right. I know I was I was uh, as a teenager I was none more excited than anything else in the entire ceremony than for those two to perform that song that sure year. of course we're a very so, cool teenager as we all and know and still watching it it's like it has better production values than any other well maybe not the Triplets of Triplets Belleville, of Belleville. Song Yeah, Triplets of Belleville. Yeah, it was great. That's Band is. members playing a bicycle as, <laughs> you know. so yeah. bonkers. I love the it band. so much. The first batch of songs, though, including the two Cold Mountain ones, introduced by Liv Tyler in what I wrote down, I was like, uh, pre-transformation Dr. Harleen Quinzel kind of a, <laughs> um, <laughs> kind of a get-up with the glasses and the, and the hair all to the side. Um, I had forgotten that Elvis Costello... Right. Was on Scarlet Tide. I'd remember that Sting was on You Will Be My Ain True Love, but um Scarlet that- Tide's a pretty song. <laughs> I'd forgotten that part too. I don't think I would have nominated it, but like Scarlet Tide's a pretty song. Those songs are beautiful, and Alison Krauss yeah. sings them so well. And I guess yes. Sting wrote Ain't True Love, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And remember Jack White's in that movie. That's a very musicy movie. It is. All yeah. Right. Cold Mountain. I mean, Chris and I talked about Cold Mountain throughout that 2003 miniseries, even though we didn't cover it because it did get nominations. Um, Kind of a fascinating movie, and it doesn't really work. It's too long, but as episodic as it is, there are episodes of it. I love the Natalie Portman, Jude Law section of that movie. A lot, a lot, a lot. Did you also notice that Julia Roberts said she was about to go start filming Closer with Mike Nichols? So did Jude Law. Both of them on the red carpet. Oh, did he? Mike Nichols. Wonderful. Yeah. Um... But yeah, Cold Mountain. What a I moment. like the part when Jack Black and Will Ferrell presenting song, and their whole bit singing was great. But then Will Ferrell just goes sting and like yes. cracks himself <laughs> up. Yes, this is yeah. genuinely funny. Yeah. Well, Will Ferrell and Jack Black doing the absolute legendary intro to the best original song win of their own best original song, You're Boring, about <laughs> the playoff music, which maybe wouldn't land as much now because it feels like people are just not played off anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Although they referenced Catherine Zeta-Jones and like I was bracing myself for impact and they didn't say something weird about what she looked like. And I was like, oh, thank true. God. Someone had the sense back in 2004. Yeah. I liked them together. I liked Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller doing the uh, Ben Stiller shows up dressed in character. We were going to do a bit together. Owen Wilson's so good being... Uh, their dynamic is really good. We're like, Stiller's the the frustrated one. And Owen yeah. Wilson is 
so laid back that he makes Stiller more frustrated. Like, it's just a very good yeah. dynamic they have. <laughs> and all for Starsky and Hutch. And all for Starsky all and Hutch. I remember so fondly. <laughs> that was one thing I, I was thinking about. I'm like, oh, wow, yeah. How do they choose some of these presenters? Some are absolutely obvious, right, movies to promote. But a few yeah. I was I was like, how did this Pierce Brosnan and Julianne Moore remembering that uh, the, the laws, laws of attraction. Of attraction. Don't we all remember I that? love that movie. I love that <laughs> I've movie. I've never seen it. So I you will. You guys. I will. It's a really solid rom-com. Where Julianne Moore gets to be the woman who's like, she gets to be the character that's not like, not into the romance, not looking for the man. Whereas Pierce Brosnan's character is like way more into Julianne. It's, I like that. That's great. That's a good thing. And most wildly, Julianne Moore's mother is played by none other than Francis Fisher. Oh, wonderful. That's That's good casting. Our favorite Oscar character. Well, she's like five years older than (laughs) her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, That's fair. fair. Also, one of the... One of her character's hangups is that Julianne just feels like her mother is just so beautiful and that she could never measure up. And it's like, that you? That's a mirror has two faces kind of dynamic. (laughs) We we need to do an episode on this movie. For years, I I confused laws of attraction with uh, intolerable cruelty and i was like oh. the Coen brothers made that pierce brosnan and julianne moore movie that's so yeah. weird <laughs> i thought you were going to say the rules of attraction which is a, well, a no, that, weird movie yeah, to that's, compare. that's, that's the first press screening i ever went to when no i was kidding. in college someone from the school oh, paper wow. took me as their guest oh. yep. man while we're talking about presenters can we talk about will and jada Oh, and the, the uh, sinisterness that creeps into their whole vibe, just knowing what's coming in the future. Because yes. like their whole presence on the red carpet and during the show was like, look how in love they are. And look what a great Hollywood couple they are. And like, they seem very happy and very genuinely in love. And you just cannot get over how this story is going to end with hindsight. It's it's Maria Menounos says, like, you guys are great lovers or something like that. <laughs> when they're int- when they're introduced by Billy Crystal, he talks about, like, how happy they are, you know, like, that they're a Hollywood mm-hmm. rare, rare. Like, that's that was really, you're right, Katie, that was really the focus of how they were being yeah. packaged by yeah. the show that night was, like, look at this happy couple, which feels pointed in various ways that I, I don't love. But, like, yeah, it's sure. just an interesting time capsule because, like, they yeah. were still years away, you know, according to Jada Smith's, you know, recounting of events, like years away from kind of quietly splitting up. But yeah. yeah. I also I love I love the days of Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon as a couple too yes. in this. Tim Robbins, yeah. I will say for a performance I did not think was very good and did not think I deserved that win. He gives a really nice speech and he seems like a really good, decent guy. Um and I like them together. I did mention on text last night as I was watching that Susan brought her son from Stepmom uh, <laughs> along with her her and Tim's young son. And I was like, I wonder if uh, Liam Aiken is the kid's name. And I wonder if he just like became friends with their son when she filmed that movie and they wanted to like bring somebody for their kid to like play around <laughs> with while they were at the Oscars. Like that seemed like a possibility, but um, well, and it, yeah. it, it's all a nice. mystery for me when Tim Robbins wins, he hugs one kid and not the other one. I was like, God rude. And then realizing one somebody is not plays his kid. favorites. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Should we talk about more of the winner speeches? I mean, as we said, it's a really, it's 11 wins for Lord of the Rings. You're seeing a lot of uh, happy New Zealanders, a lot of the same ones over and over again. Like I can't keep track of the double winners for Lord of the Rings, but there's a yeah. lot of them. Fran well, Walsh, Howard Shore. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's, right. there's one that I was like bracing for, and it was it, not just to touch likely back on presenter into award speech, Adrian Brody, mm-hmm. who they like mm. joke, the he jokes that he has moment. a restraining yeah. order. 
Yeah. Yes, he jokes you though, they have a restraining order, and everyone's like, ha ha. There's a child nominated, Adrian. Like, read a room. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, age. Well, and no, but the room Charlize... was right there with him. Like, yeah. in 2004, yes. the room was there. And then Charlize yeah. gives him a smooch. Yeah. And I'm yeah. just like, this. That oh. man was indulged. That man has, has been indulged by the Oscars. I also yeah. thought it was striking that, like, Renee Zellweger presents before she wins her award. I think that was the order that it went in. She's presented an earlier award. And when she presents the award, she talks like a regular person. And then when she wins the award, she has this, like, sort of pinched vapor lock sort of version of it. And that's because when she presented, I was like, this is a different person than the person who gave the Venus and Serena and Selena speech back in, you know, <laughs> 2020. 2020. But I'm like, oh, this is just sort of how she talks when she's, like, nervous, I guess, or, like, put on the spot to, like, give an acceptance speech. Because, like, there is something that sort of changes in her. And yeah. it's the same version of her that uh, couldn't read the uh, the <laughs> envelope that one year with the Chicago. Remember when Chicago reunited? Mm-hmm. Um and and it was her turn to like read off of the card, and she sort of like backs away and like hands it off to somebody else, and everybody was like, "Oh, Renee Zellweger can't read." That's exactly what um, Warren Beatty did when presented with the wrong envelope for. I'm oh, saying, and, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> did you just back away when in doubt? Yeah. I thought Charlize Theron was great. I really liked her speech. I yes. thought her mom, mm-hmm. like the emotion of her talking to her mom and poor Stuart Townsend, who's just looking great and is going to get kicked to the curb. Man, wispy bangs were a thing, though, for the guys, <laughs> like between Stuart and Johnny Depp. Like, they were very, like, they were placed the way that, like, uh, a fine dining chef would, like, place gold leaf <laughs> on a plate. It's just, like, that's how, like, delicately tweezed and sort of, like, uh, put together they were. Yeah. I would also agree with uh, the Charlize call-out. She spotlights Christina Ricci as well, who yeah. really got good. overlooked the whole time. Uh, that movie was in the race for Monster. Yeah. And knowing what Charlize Theron and her mother went through when Charlize mm-hmm. was younger, yes. like a very violent episode in their past, like uh, I, that makes the kind of call-out to her mother, thanking her for like basically helping her move to the U.S. and start this career. Like, that's a a truly, like, genuine moment, I think, that I think at the time watching it, I didn't know about what had happened in their past. And so, like, it's, um, yeah, but knowing that now, it's it's, it's pretty powerful. Um, And and, and it's a genuinely good win. I mean, I think sometimes you look at those, like, young up-and-coming actress wins, this this so-called starlet win. It's a little bit like, was that really, you know, when this person should have gotten their big award in their career? In this case, I think, you know, she, she, she popped in everything she was in beforehand and so you know she'd kind of already built a solid career in just a few short years right and i think we we talk about the transformational roles right where someone takes it to really transform and hide their true and i i could see absolutely Charlie's starting the business as a model honestly not being taken seriously so i i it all yeah great win worthy worthy time there's a moment when chris Connolly before the show starts is interviewing tom hanks and he's like so you cast uh Charlize yes. Theron is the drummer's girlfriend in that thing you do. So is it fair to say you taught her everything she knows about acting? And he very graciously is like, she showed up. She was the first audition we saw and the first person we cast in the movie. She, I think that she is pretty doing pretty good on her own. See, not everyone was a sexist monster in 2004. Yep. Yes. There were people yeah. who had sense. I remember Tom Hanks was like a champion of her from like the very early stage. He would always sort of talk her up and talk about how good she was on that thing you do. And um, I've always remembered that about him. That's cool. Can I also say the last half hour of the ceremony uses two times one of my favorite 
affects of the Oscars, which is a presentation that reads the five descriptions of the um, of the nominees yes. in the category, where it's like a father struggling to hold on to his oh. family, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, a man down on his luck, uh, uh, an actor <laughs> filming a commercial in Japan. Yeah. Um, and I wrote and down Nicole the ones. Kidman- Gets a good joke out of that, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. For women, right. that's the five stages right. of dating in Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nicole. Yeah. Oh, God. Good for Nicole. I wrote down the ones for best uh, original screenplay, though, that uh, Susan, that Susan Sarandon, Sarandon gets. read. Yeah. And I wanted to do a very quick little game where I oh wrote down the five <laughs> real like ones and one on fake one. It's like we're on this Oscar buzz. This is so exciting. I wrote down oh. the five real ones and one fake one, and you can point out okay. the, the fake one. So it was um, a father's lesson bestowed upon an estranged son. An Irish family building a new life in the U.S. A chance meeting between a middle-aged man and a young woman. Immigrants caught up in a world of desperation. A father whose son happens to be a fish. Or a young EMT encounters the man who was in the Amazon with her mom when she was researching spiders before she died. <laughs> oh, my God. Next year, Take Frank your time. back for Madam Webb's <laughs> adapted screenplay run. It's the father teaching his son something, right? That, that, that's yeah, the big one. Yeah, yeah, the father teaching his son something. The Oscars yeah, hate yeah. it when fathers teach sons things. <laughs> I was listening to that, though, and I was like, two different times I thought they were talking about Big Fish, and it turned out none of those times they were talking <laughs> about Big Fish. It was always Finding Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of us Finding Nemo, one was the part barbarian invasions and i was like oh i guess they didn't nominate big fish in this category okay um Um, wait we were talking about nicole presenting and i do want to talk about best actor because i think the like you know looking back in hindsight on how things turned out and sean penn winning for mystic river and then four years later winning for milk is one of those times where you're like oh could we take one of these away yeah does he need to yeah what and then especially when i had completely forgotten after sean penn's speech billy crystal's like oh bill murray don't leave and like there's like a round of applause for bill murray like it was so it was was Mm -hmm. word. every it was yeah. very like Glenn Close. This isn't how I wanted it to go. Kind oh. of moment. <laughs> yes. um, but should we just go back in time and give that to Bill Murray? Like, yes. would we lose yes. anything if that happened? Yeah, the historical record should. Yeah, Bill Murray had won the BAFTA, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah, and the and the Golden Globe won for the slew of the Critics Prizes that year. Because Chris Connolly, when he's like in the pre-show and he's doing like the going category by category, he's like best actor is a, a best actress is locked. Everyone knew Charlize was going to win, but like actor was between Murray. Sean Penn and um, who is the third name? He's oh oh Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp was the spoiler yeah. who had just yeah. won the surprise SAG win. Yeah, yeah. Right during voting, and they thought it would be like an Adrian Brody sort of upset. I mean, he and which had just Johnny happened. Depp very yeah. different careers, but like absolutely like yeah. that, like because that was that's Murray, Murray's only nomination. Like he didn't get one for Broken Flowers or anything. You Life know, Aquatic, after yeah, 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 Life Aquatic or anything like uh, after that. So. That was the one opportunity. We didn't know that at the time. The right. Academy didn't know right. that, obviously. It seemed like he was embarking on it. You know, he was only like in his early 50s. <laughs> and he oh, was yeah. being treated as this like elder, elder statesman. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We'd been famous um, for so long at that point. But it true. was there was a sort of sense of every time anybody interviewed Bill Murray or like talked about him from the stage, I got so incredibly nervous because I was just like, Bill Murray's going to like be mean to somebody or like, or say something <laughs> nasty or like give like whatever, like maybe... If he had, like, roughed up Billy Bush, I wouldn't have felt too bad about it or whatever. But um, <laughs> yeah. otherwise, 
<laughs> when he came into the audience and did those awkward ones? Yeah. Yes. Oh, Jesus. Yes. Someone oh, should have. Someone should have. No, I don't He's... think anyone's been able to do that since in the pre-show. And that, that might have been what ended it. <laughs> they clearly hate it so much. Yes. yes. And f- he's standing over Renee Zellweger's left shoulder, yes. touching oh her God. arm, kind of looming over her. And she's just like kind of staring straight ahead, being like, hi, hello, hi, goodbye, please leave. Like, I so... like want to die anytime I have to pass anybody in an aisle to get to like a middle seat in this movie <laughs> yeah. theater. I can't imagine the unearned confidence of somebody who just like feels fine leaning over Renee Zellweger for no reason. Like, And then he like tells, remember, to, to sit between Renee and and yeah. oh, Nicole poor, Kidman. Uh, what's his name? Um, Mingel? Renee Zellweger's Mingel? constant companion. Oh, her, manag- her manager. Yeah. I oh, looked her it manager. up. Like Carabino, John Carabino. Yeah. Yeah. Um, John Carabino. Who's sitting between Nicole Kidman and Renee Zellweger. And Billy Bush almost, nearly almost says like, you know, what is this like... Fat slob, get to sit next to you too for like I, I should be sitting there. And it's just like go away. Oh God! I use um, I use John Carabino's products all the time when I go rock climbing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I did notice also um, when Julia Roberts is making the speech about Catherine Hepburn before they cut to that montage, she relates the anecdote about. Um, how she always wore pants, she never wore a skirt, and Barbara Walters got on her case about it, and she said, uh, I I've, have one pair of pants, I'll wear them to your funeral. One skirt. The, the gasp in the audience that, like, comes at that point <laughs> from people who, I guess, had never heard that line before, I was like, it's still a good line, man. Like that There's line also, still like, kills. a knowing laughter of the audience, too. It's like, there's a certain portion of that audience that's been asked uncomfortable, inappropriate questions mm-hmm. by Barbara Walters. Yeah, oh, yes, yes, oh, yes there yeah. is that. Oh, and Julia was, like, one of them. Julia was, like... Yeah, like go for it, get her. <laughs> also, the Joan, the Joan Rivers pieces too. I was like, Ooh. yeah, where she's talking I, to Julia jo- Roberts, who clearly would rather strangle her. Julia yeah. Roberts, do you diet? <laughs> and Julia also, just goes, why should I? Please from her. Yes, yeah. and also yeah. how Joan, they Julia joked to her face that Joan had no idea who the nominees were. Oh, Julia was yeah. like, if I told you I was nominated, you'd be you'd fine believe with me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Joan was fighting for her life with those BBC people next to her. I'll tell you yes. what, like, yeah. <laughs> Um, I have to say, I think my favorite part of the whole show is at the very end when mm, Billy Crystal mm-hmm. says, here are this year's winners and the curtain it. parts. And it's everyone who and some people are coming yeah. up from the stage, but some, uh, from the audience and some people are coming up from, you know, the, the upstage. And it's just so great. Have they ever done that since? I loved it. Not that I can I, think of off the top of my head, but no, they should absolutely do that again because I loved that. That was great. Yeah, they, was you know what they great. should do? They should take the nominees luncheon photo and then fade America's Next Top Model style <laughs> but the ones who didn't win out. <laughs> I, I imagine it's a logistical headache because like, you know, Carrie, you'll be backstage at the Oscars for us. Like people are in the press room, they're running around. Like it's it must take a lot of doing to make that possible. But it is such a lovely note to end on, especially because yeah. the Oscars sometimes end and they're just like, go oh, get out of here. We're, we're so sorry that we took all this time from you. Like take a moment at the end of it. Mm-hmm. The closest comparison that I can recall is when they did the Oscar like winner yearbook of yeah, yeah the yeah. family album. Uh, they had that year's winners show up at the very end. Yeah, I like right, that part a lot. Right. Uh, I'm saying it now. We have four years until the 100th Oscars. If they don't bring back the family album for the 100th they Oscars, I'm going to lose uh, my mind. They absolutely um, have to. Also, you, Katie, you always make a great... You always ask about the when they did the costumes at like a like a runway. 
right? Like oh, when they yeah. had the, the costume nominees yeah. come out. Yeah. Bring that. Yeah. I mean, the Hunter Oscars are going to be eight hours long, right? Like everyone wants that. The problem yeah. is, Kara, if Katie had her way, the Oscars would be nine hours. Yeah. Long. No, yeah. 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 There would be 18 montages every hour. Like. You're saying you wouldn't want that? Thank you very I much. Mean, and not, Kiki Palmer would be hosting. Uh-huh. One thing. Well, Richard would have to then recap it. <laughs> 20 years later. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> the, the recapping for 10 years has made me want a 90-minute Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. afraid. Yeah. Fair. One thing I yeah. do, speaking of wanting it to be longer, though, one thing that I do uh, miss that they didn't do in this one is, you know when they'll, like, read off the short film nominees and then they'll say a little something about, like, what the short film is about because, like, nobody's heard about these things? Like, you know, that I like. Or even when they'll, like, read the costume design nominations and they'll be like, Melina Cananero used fabrics from the original, like, yeah. uh, time period. And yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of thing. I like that. Give us context. Don't just sort of rattle off names mm-hmm. of movies. Give yep. us a little bit of context. Tell us why these things were remarkable or impressive or whatever. It just doesn't have to go on forever. But, you know, um, give us a little bit of a window, especially during the crafts, when, like, that's when, you know, attention spans are most likely to drift. Just, like, give us something to be engaged with a little well, bit. Well, yeah, for the sound categories, they played specific clips where the sound was yeah. really, like a, a like, the kind of almost centerpiece of you know of it and yes. i think i yeah i agree joe that like th- there's a lot of deference paid to craft in, in this in this broadcast which is i mean not as much as there has been in in previous years but like yeah they, they at least try and i appreciate yes. that yeah yeah um i do think we should probably get toward wrapping it up before this is as long as these oscars themselves um then <laughs> I, and i think there's an interesting reflection between this and this year's oscars we're gonna have where we've got oppenheimer which is the most like the lord of the rings of as any best picture nominee yeah. has been since then honestly mm-hmm. i mean like avatar but you know something that like really was a very very likely winner um mm-hmm. do you feel like watching these 2004 oscars was sort of a preview of what we're in for this year i did think about that about how this is sort of this is how you do a ceremony where there isn't really a ton of suspense over what's going to win. Um, I'm wondering who, what the uh, Jimmy Kimmel running gag is going to be for everybody at Oppenheimer thanking the folks at Los Alamos or something like yeah. that. I don't Those know. jokes were always funny. <laughs> like every they time were. Like, everyone in New Zealand, people are moving to New Zealand so they can be thanked. It was funny. We also didn't talk, just really quickly, we have to just at least mention Sean Connery's little opening. Uh, right. Sean Connery. And the king of the reaction shots, the entire, like, every time it cut to him, he was like, having a ball. Yeah, he was the, he was, we've talked about this before, Katie, about like, who's the like, the king of the certain ceremony or like the, 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 the most deferential, like, is it Jack Nicholson at one year? Is it Meryl yeah. Streep one year? The one that everybody sort of like defers to and, yeah. and Connery seemed to be that guy. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a little different just with the Oppenheimer in in because Return of the King was the last of those three. Like the fact right. that they that is still an incredible mind-blowing achievement that they filmed three at once. Like it it still blows my mind and I and Oppenheimer is not like people love Christopher Nolan. It's not like they they're awarding um I, did, I did just think it's slightly different. It's still incredible yeah. that 11 of 11 is... Yeah, yeah. and Oppenheimer is not going to go 13 for 13. I yeah, right. it, it's that. still wild to me that Return of the King missed in the categories that it missed for sure. nominations. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, t- Master and Commander's uh, benefit. And that they... I mean, they were kind of spoiled for choice in terms of, like, getting a supporting actor nomination out of that cast. But, you know, because that didn't really materialize throughout the season. yeah. The one thing I yeah. did think of, though, because all three movies were filmed together, so the same craftspeople were there. And, like, I did kind of, as somebody who does sometimes like to spread the wealth, like, if you had won that award for Fellowship of the Ring, maybe, like, 
don't nominate them for the same award. You know what I mean? It's just like <laughs> sure. they won the award yeah. for doing this particular achievement. I know it's three separate movies, but like, I don't uh, know. It's such a claw. I mean, the the Lord of the Rings series, like really nothing like it has happened since then. Like we've had a ton of franchise and I love making, those movies, but they're to so be fair. distinctive. Yeah, yeah yes. like 200, yeah. 274 days of filming is what I, I was like, yeah, yeah. Google it. Um, and yeah, Oppenheimer is a colossal achievement just on in a different way. But I, I think kind of an interesting inheritor of the like big blockbuster movie that smart people can get into, um, mm-hmm. which is yeah. why it's going to win a bunch of Oscars. Yeah. Um, Joe and Chris, thank you so much for joining us yet again. We will, of course, do this again next year and forever until Richard says no more and he cannot stand looking into the past anymore. <laughs> um, but do you want to just tell people about this at Oscar Buzz before you go? Yeah, um, we talk about movies that were hyped for Oscar but didn't get any Oscar nominations. We are, uh, as Katie mentioned, we go back as far as 2019, if not uh, sooner. One was, I don't know, God, we've been doing this podcast for a very long time, but we are uh, still, there are there is an unexhaustible well of uh, this had Oscar buzz titles because every year they make more. Yeah, so the well fills back up every single year. We've got an, an episode on Annette coming up soon. We've got, what's the one that just went up? The Beautiful Boy episode. Uh, about, you know, Annette uh, Benning has had Oscar buzz for a long time. I'm glad <laughs> you're doing an episode about her. <laughs> but you guys should also plug that you have a second well that you've dug. Yes, our Patreon yeah. is finally We started alive. a Patreon where we are doing movies that really fit our rubric, but might have managed some Oscar nominations here and there. Um, and then we also do, on top of that, what we call excursions, which are like deep dives into, you know, the ephemera around uh, Oscars. We've recapped, much like we're doing here, we've recapped an MTV Movie Awards before. Nice. Uh, that's at patreon.com slash this had Oscar buzz. I'm a paying subscriber. It's worth it. You'll hear me and Richard on various episodes. Uh, I come around every Thanksgiving, only on Thanksgiving, even though I talk to Joe <laughs> and Chris every day. It's a tradition unlike any other. That's um, right. Yeah. Thank you guys again so much. We'll see you on this at Oscar Thank Bus. you. Thank Bye. you. That does it for this week's show. As we said, next week on Tuesday, uh, we will be excited to share your thoughts on how best to host an Oscar party and our own thoughts as well. We're really excited for it. And then um, on next Thursday, we'll have our final Oscar predictions. Time to commit for some of us, i.e. me, who still can't make up their minds. Um, Find us in the meantime at Vanity Fair, on social media at VF Awards Insider. I'm out there at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylos. And David. David Canfield 97. And Kara. Kara J. Warner. Our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs. And this week's award for our excuse when us little gold men hosts lose the Oscar pool goes to Katie Rich. The evil wizards took over. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor. Let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. 